Genesis chapter, we just finished Genesis chapter 41. So we just finished Genesis chapter 41. And I, I want to read that last verse of Genesis chapter 41, verse 57. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And uh, so there were people from all over. It wasn't just the Egyptians. It was people from all the surrounding areas. Now, the Bible says from all the earth, and maybe that means from all the earth, but was it from people in the Western Hemisphere? Uh, was it from, if there weren't people in the Western Hemisphere yet, uh, was it from people in, in, in Europe? Uh, it would be hard to imagine that, that it was. And if you say, well, I take the Bible literally, I'm okay with that. But what do you do when Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? And they took it literally and they thought, wow, somebody didn't bring the bread. And he said, look, guys, I'm not talking about that. And, uh, 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 and he was talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He reproved them for taking it absolutely liter- literally in that case. Jesus said that he was the true vine, not just a vine, but the true vine. So does that mean that Jesus was a plant? No. It means that, that uh, he was speaking uh, figuratively. He was speaking in a metaphor at that time. Uh, does all the earth mean that the surrounding regions? Maybe so. But just, just a thought I want you to think about. All right. Chapter 42 of Genesis, verse 1. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place, so that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Okay, so if you look back at verse 1, I want you to think about this. There's a famine now in the land. God had given the land of Canaan was given to Abraham and to his descendants. We had looked at that over and over again. The promise of the land. There was a covenant which included the promise of the land. Yet Abraham, Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 12, verse 10, Abraham had to leave the land to go down to Egypt because of a famine. And then again, his son Isaac in chapter 26, verse 1, had to leave the land of Canaan and go into the land of Gerar. Uh, and and uh, uh, he had to go into the land of Gerar because of a famine. So, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob are being confronted with famines that are, that are testing their very existence and are going to cause each of them to have to leave the land. Isn't it interesting that God gave them the land but he makes it so that they cannot merely depend upon the land. They have to depend on something much greater than just the land. They have to be able to depend upon God. And he draws each of them out of the land for a season. 
And interestingly enough, when Abraham goes into the land of Egypt and then comes out of it, he leaves much richer than when he went in. When Isaac goes into the land of Gerar, as we had studied, he leaves it much richer than when he had went in. Even in the midst of a famine, he was in Gerar. That is where he started planting. That, that's where they went from being pure nomadic to being planters as well. That happened. And then he, he, everywhere he dug, I mean, just well after well was being found. In the midst of famine, God can bring fruitfulness. But you see, also God is directing them through circumstances. God directed Abraham to Egypt through the circumstance of a famine. God directed Isaac to Gerar through the circumstance of a famine. God is going to direct Jacob to Egypt through the circumstance of a famine. God directed uh, uh, Mary and Joseph to go down to Bethlehem where their, their child was going to be born. He didn't speak to them in a dream or through an angel and say, go down to the land of Bethlehem. You're up in Nazareth, you've got to go down to Bethlehem. No, he used a decree from Caesar to get them to go down because they wanted to take a census. God often directs us through circumstances. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese uh, um, uh, pastor, scholar, and evangelist, said that never think yourself so spiritual that you do not have to be directed by circumstances. So many times in our life we are directed by circumstances. We get into a certain school and we don't get into the others. God opens doors and He shuts doors in order to direct us. The most spiritual people are often directed by circumstances. There's nothing wrong with that. We pray that God opens doors and that He closes the wrong doors and we're often directed by circumstances. This is what happened to men of God often in the Scriptures. In verse uh, uh, 42, chapter 42, verse 1, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some food for us from that place so that we may live and not die. So at this point, Jacob is 130 years old. And we know that from Genesis chapter 47, verse 9, when he shortly after this goes down into Egypt, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ask him, how old are you? He says, I'm 130 years old. We know that Joseph is now 39 years old. Joseph was 17 when he was taken. He spent 13 years and then he appeared before Pharaoh at the age of 30. There were seven years of prosperity in Egypt. So that made him 37. And now we're two years into the famine. We know we're two years into the famine because of Genesis chapter 45, verse 6. He tells his brothers, we are two years into this famine. There's still five years left. So Jacob, so, so Joseph is now 39. That would make his other 10 brothers all in their 40s. These men are in their 40s. They showed zero initiative to do something to sustain the family. The 130-year-old patriarch had to say, what are you guys doing standing around? Show some initiative and go down to Egypt. I hear there's food in Egypt. Well, how could he hear there's food in Egypt? Probably people had, had gone to Egypt and brought back food and he sees his neighbors having food. So he hears there's food in Egypt. He says, get us some food. There's a famine going on. And, and, uh, um, and his brothers, which says they were just staring at one another, standing around and staring at one another. It's amazing. You can have totally capable people standing around doing nothing. And then one person 
with a gift of leadership walks in and says, you guys, do this. Move those chairs. Move those tables. Boom. It's done. Jesus had this. You see this. He says, there were these masses of people. They said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus said, you direct them to sit down in groups of 50 on the grass here. I mean, very specific leadership. It just takes someone to stand up and to say, do this. And then people often comply. Just do this. What do they say when somebody's having a heart attack? But before you even start CPR, you look at somebody right in the eye and say, you, call 911 or else they'll all stand there. And and this is what leadership does. He had Joseph was the leader at the age of 17. He took Joseph to go and check on his brothers in the northern part. And what they did is they 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 threw him into a pit and then they took him back out and they sold him into slavery after first deciding that they were going to kill him and then saying, well, let's make some money off of him. And what they did is they got rid of the greatest treasure. They got rid of the guy who foresaw this famine coming nine years earlier than this point. Nine years earlier, he knew what to do. Had he been in, 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 uh, in the land of Canaan, he might have, he might have had this same thing happen in the land of Canaan. When you get rid of your treasures because of jealousy, when you get rid of them, you, 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 you open yourself up to real devastation. I remember the same thing happened in the 1970s when, when, uh, Ethiopia had an overthrow of Haile Selassie. And when that overthrow happened, many of the intelligentsia left. The professors, the physicians, they left and many of them came to the United States and it was a great thing for the United States. All of these very intelligent, accomplished people came to the United States and Ethiopia just crumbled, just crumbled because they lost these people. Whenever a country is taken that their, their, their most qualified people and for some reason is said, you know, they're not good, that we got to get rid of them, that the country just crashes after that just crashes and when, when that happens. And you see that, that their lives, they couldn't even figure out what to do. They're standing around staring at each other. They had the most gifted man among them and they sold him into slavery. And so he says, you go on down there and you take care of this. And so, so again, here, here this, this 130-year-old has to tell them what to do. And then he says, in, in, it says, then 10 brothers in verse 3 of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin. So remember, Jacob, uh, Joseph was six years old when his brother Benjamin was born. So his mother died in childbirth when he was six years old. And so he's six years older than Benjamin. So, so if, if Joseph is 39, Benjamin is 33. So Benjamin is not a child. But he says, I'm not going to send him with you. I'm afraid that harm may befall him. He may well... Uh, uh, Jacob may well have been afraid of these ten brothers, <clears throat> that if he goes with these ten brothers, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Uh, he may not have trusted these ten brothers with, with, with Benjamin. He didn't trust them. And it's a, it's a sad thing when parents cannot trust their children. It is a very sad thing. And this is what was going on. And he wouldn't send Benjamin even at the age of 33. In verse 5, So the sons of Israel... Uh, uh, came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now the question comes, why didn't, why didn't Joseph ever go and visit his father? Say in the, in the seven years of plenty. It's about, about from, I don't know exactly where Joseph was 
in, in, in Egypt at the time. But if we just say Cairo, right there along the Nile, uh, 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 and, and if, if he was in Cairo, the distance from Cairo to, to uh, Hebron is about 450 miles. So he's about 450 miles away. That's what it would take to drive in a car today. Now, whether you would go the same route or not, I don't know. But that's, that's the distance it would take to drive in a car by miles today. 450 miles. So how long would it take to travel 450 miles? Now, as you know, it's much easier to walk along a sidewalk than it is to walk along dirt. Dirt is much harder to walk along. And it's a, it can be a pretty foreboding to walk across there. But in any case, if you figure 450 miles, if they could go 10 miles a day, that's 45 days. Say he had a chariot and he could go twice that. He's, it's still somewhere, you know, 20, 25 days to get there. And uh, why wouldn't he just go? And then it'd be another 25 days to get back. And maybe he would stay there a couple of weeks. Why didn't he just go? Well, Think about this. Why would he go? There are ten brothers there that threw him in a pit with the intention of killing him. They had no liking for him. They made fun of him. And then they sold him into slavery. Now certainly he could go with his, his Egyptian troops and overpower his brothers, but he never did that. But he was not welcomed by his brothers. Plus maybe he's much smarter than we are. Maybe he knows that he wants to bring his brothers to a point of confession. If he just appears to them and forces a confession upon them, that's not, that, that, there's no remorse in that. There's no remorse. Maybe he's more clever than we are. Maybe he well knows that this famine is going to hit so hard that his family is going to have to come down to Egypt. And in that way, in that way, he can work a scheme to get his brothers to, number one, feel remorse for their sin, number two, confess their sin, and number three, he can check on his brothers' hearts regarding their, their, their treatment of Benjamin. Do they hate Benjamin just like they tra- hated him? Because remember, Benjamin was, was Joseph's whole brother uh, uh, from the same mother. Benjamin also grew up with, in, 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 with two stepmothers. Did, were, did those ten treat Benjamin the same way? Maybe because look how quickly he acts. This seems to me to be well set up and well orchestrated. He knows exactly what to do. It is natural that he would recognize his brothers because they are coming dressed as Hebrews. They are coming and there's all ten of them. And he suspects that after a while they're going to have to come to get, the, to get grain there in Egypt. Not only that, that they would not recognize him makes good sense because he's now dressed as an Egyptian authority. So he may have had a little goatee. He may have been dressed as an Egyptian. Remember, the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew men, the Semitics, had big beards. The Egyptians were clean-shaven or just a little goatee. And, and we know that from pictures of that generation. And so, so also, look at what it says here. It says... Um, verse 5, so the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. It's as if those who were coming from the other lands, remember there were storehouses in every city, but the ones who were coming from other lands, it's as if jo- 
Joseph had arranged this, that they all have to come to a central point. It's like when you, when you travel into, like when I travel into the EU. If I travel into the EU, because I have an American passport, there's all these big empty lines to go if you, if you, if you have a, a passport for the EU. But if it's a non-EU, then you've got to get on this long line, and, there's, 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 and, and you, you're, it's much longer to get through this. He was, they, he was directing everybody to a central point. Look in verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came down to him with their faces to the ground. He was the one who sold it to them. His hands were on this. He was watching for them. It was as if the whole thing was planned because he knew exactly what he was going to do. This scheme, this plot that he had seems hard and seems cruel. It is not. He is drawing them to repentance. God often does the same thing. He takes a person in rebellion and he puts them in a position where they, they, they realize their own sinfulness. So, for example, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 20, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 20, it says, God says of, of, of His people, He says, is Ephraim my dear son? So he, sometimes He calls them Israel. He names them after Jacob. But now He calls them after Joseph's son, Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. Is Ephraim my dear son? This is a rhetorical question. Is Ephraim my dear son, God asks? Is he a delightful child? And on both of these, the, it's the affirmative. This is a rhetorical question. Is Ephraim my dear son? Yes, Lord, he is. Is he a delightful child? Yes. Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. So here, even in judgment, in the book of Jeremiah, Israel is going undergoing judgment because of their rebellion. God says, but this is still my son, and I'm still going to have mercy on them. God is putting them in a terrible strait in the book of Jeremiah. He's going to be having them taken away to, the, to Babylon. Uh, it's going to be terrible. God allows this to shake us up when we are in rebellion, when we're in denial. This is the amazing thing. Misfortune is often seen through the prism of guilt. These men were guilty. These men were guilty first of trying to murder their brother and then selling their brother into human trafficking, into slavery. These men were guilty of that. And they carried this guilt. You know, time has an amazing way of healing when there's, say, loss of a loved one. Time, God is gracious to give healing over time. But guilt never goes away. You may think, oh, this is, this is done. No, when we commit acts of sin, and we think that with time that's going to go away, it doesn't. I mean, we shut the closet door, stick it in the closet, shut the closet door... And every so often, boom, guilt kicks the door back open again. God provides a way. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. There is confession. We go and we go back to God and we confess this. If our sin is against another people, we are obliged to confess this to the person that we've offended. We are obliged to do this. If we've taken something that does not belong to us, we are obliged to give it back with some amount of restitution. I remember once I, I had a pair of pliers that, that was uh, w one of my roommates. And uh, I knew it was his 
because it had his name uh, uh, scribed on it with one of those little uh, uh, scriber guns. And it was in, and, and, and as I was packing up my stuff to leave, that tool was near my tools. I threw it in my toolbox. I knew exactly what I was doing. This guy hadn't used it for years, and I took it. And every time I went to my toolbox, I had moved out and I had moved to another state. Every time I went to my toolbox, I saw it and I was convicted of my sin. So I kept those. I went out and I bought him. A, these, this was a set of just normal pliers, no rubber handles. I bought him a really nice set of pliers, really nice. Uh, a Sears Craftsman, which at the time, for those of you who are older, you know Sears Craftsman were like the best tools you could get. I bought him a Sears Craftsman, which has a lifetime warranty. And, and, uh, and I put $10 in a package and I mailed it to him, apologizing for my taking his pliers years earlier. I wanted to make restitution. And after that, I felt fine. And after that, I was fine having his, his pliers in my toolbox because I had purchased them and given him much more than that. Because it says, he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. We have to not only confess it, to the Lord. We must forsake it. Forsake it, it means repent. Where we're going one direction and we go the other direction. There is a way out. He is bringing his brothers to this point. His brothers were not at that point yet because he tests them. He put them to the test so they could see their own selves. So he, he says they came to, to buy food. They bow down before him, which was not worship. This was just typical uh, respect. They bow down before him. And it says, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and he spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Remember, in his mercy, he's bringing them to a point of, 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 of remorse because they didn't feel any remorse. After they threw him in this pit and, 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 and uh, to die, they just sat down and had a meal. No remorse. They went back and deceivers, they told their father that, oh, is this your son's outfit? He must have been torn by an animal. And, uh, uh, you, you, you know, these, these false comforters for their father. No remorse in them. And so, so and, and he says, where have you come from? They said, we've come from the land of Canaan to buy food. Verse 8, but Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And we see later on in the chapter, it says that in verse 23, that he understood what they were saying. They didn't understand him because he was speaking to them through an interpreter. He did not let them know that they knew that he knew their Semitic language, their Hebrew language, what they were speaking. So in verse 9, So Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our country. So he remembered their dreams. Remember, when he was 17, he had dreams. He had dreams that his brothers were going to be bowing down to him. He told that, those dreams to his brothers, and his brothers mocked him. And his brothers called him the dreamer just before they, they, they threw him in the pit to kill him. And, and so he remembered their dreams. When God gives you a promise, you can be sure that God's going to, bang, uh, going to, going to have that promise come true. He saw this promise fulfilled. And then he said, you're spies, you've come to look at the undefended parts. Verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are, we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, your servants are 12 brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. 
Behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. So Joseph said to them, It is as I said, you are spies. So he accuses them of being spies. Remember, this is a whole scheme in order to get them to feel remorse and confession and to find out how they treat his brother Benjamin. For all he knew that they had killed Benjamin. And so it's interesting what they say about themselves. In verse 11, we are sons of one man. We are honest men. No, you're not. You're not honest men. You're not honest men at all. You killed your brother. You tried to kill your brother and then you sold him into slavery. You're not honest men. You are living with a lie. Remember, misfortune, misfortune when it comes upon us, it, it is always often seen through the prism of guilt. If we're guilty, we see it through the prism of guilt. This is why I say deal with the guilt thing. This is why the scriptures call us to repentance. In the New Testament, again and again, we are called to repentance. And when he says, the youngest is with our father, that is true. There are ten brothers. The youngest is with our father and the other is not, which means that he's perished. And, and for all they know, he was gone. Joseph said to them, it's as I've said, you're spies. He knew that they were not honest men. For them to say that they were honest men, they were not honest men. I mean, if we think we're pretty good, we're missing the point. Remember, the beginning of the gospel is this. We we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, the Bible says, Romans 5, uh, uh, in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look in, in John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. This is the epistle, not the, not, not the gospel according to John, but the epistle. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through 10. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say that we are not sinners, if we say, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. And that's where I was when the gospel was first shared with me. And I read that verse for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I I looked at the guy and said, I'm not a sinner. I never killed anybody. I never robbed a bank. How could I be a sinner? Then he had me read uh, from the book of Matthew where Jesus said, Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Bam! At that moment, I knew I was a sinner. Because I was addicted to pornography at the time. At that very moment. We, this is the first stepping stone into getting the gospel through to somebody. To get them to understand their own sin. Because we all think, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, for His word is not in us. The Bible is very clear. And His brothers were to the point where they were still saying that they were honest men. They were characterizing themselves as honest men. And so he, he says, no, you're spies. You're spies. He's gonna, he's gonna push this thing to bring them to the point of repentance. And God does this. God does this. And, and you say, do, do I, do I still have to go back and, and to apologize for my actions? Like all the time. Yeah. Jim Tour 
is apologizing all the time to people. So, so uh, I was on the phone with two administrators that were doing something, and I and I got a bit I, I got a bit curt with them, a bit short with them, and I and I said, look, just read the document to me. What does it say? And read it without using the word like. Well, that's the professor in me. When students again and again use that word over and over again. And, and I was speaking not with students, I was speaking with administrators. And they were trying to explain to me these, this clause in this contract. And I was saying, just read to me the clause without using the word like. And, you know, that's, that's something a professor might say to a student, but not to a colleague. And I felt bad about that all evening. So the next day, I contacted the co- colleague whom I said it to in the presence of the other colleague that was there who heard it as well. And I apologized for that. I said, please forgive me. I am sorry. I am without excuse. I should not have addressed you that way. That's it. And uh, uh, please forgive me. I am sorry. I am without excuse. So I wasn't saying, well, you know, I was really tired you know, I was really, no, I have no excuse. I am without excuse. And, and sometimes, you know, I find myself apologizing to people because I treat them wrongly. I treat them in a way that I shouldn't. I've told Shereen, I think sometimes I should just walk around with, with a sign hung around my neck that says, I'm sorry, because I'm going to end up offending you somehow at some point. And, and uh, because I, I do this so much, but I want to be clear. I don't want to have any guilty conscience. I don't want to. I have told my, my accountant, if there's, if there's any question between right or wrong, just give it to the government. Just give, if there's any question, or just if you can't figure it out, just give it to the government. I don't want to have anything that doesn't belong to me. My God will take care of me. I don't want anything. On, on, on my, back when Napster came in and you could get all this music and you could pull it down quote-unquote, free. I didn't want it. I don't want any software on my computers that I don't own. I don't want any any uh, music on my devices that, that I don't own, that I haven't that I don't have a right to, to have. I don't want anything between me and my God. And the Bible says, who are you to judge another? When you judge another, you, 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 you're, you're, you're uh, condemning yourself. How, and, and look at our own lives. And so this is what he's doing with, with, with uh, his brothers. And he says to them, he says, no, you're spies. In verse 15, by this you will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that you may get your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. But if not, the li- by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spies. So he put them all together in the prison for three days. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. So he says, by the life of Pharaoh. He's speaking like an Egyptian. This is this was probably a common oath that was taken. He's speaking that he's acting like he's a pure Egyptian here. And he's speaking through an interpreter to his brothers. He says, by the life of Pharaoh, you're going to jail. You can send one person to get your brother. He wanted to see Benjamin. He wanted to understand their treatment of Benjamin. He had to get Benjamin there. He's not going to ask for his 130-year-old father to come through this journey just, just like this. But Benjamin can come. Benjamin is, is, uh, is, is 33 years old. He can make this trip. 
And, uh, um, and so then he puts them in jail and then he says, he put them together in prison for three days. And then it says, on the third day. Remember, scripturally, any part of a day is a day. That's why Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He spent, on a Friday afternoon, he spent, he spent all, all Saturday in the grave. He just touched Sunday early in the morning as it was just dawning. He, he rose up. Well, I thought he was in the grave three days. The Bible, when it says three days, any part of a day is a day. You see the same thing in the book of Esther. You see the same thing here. He took them out on the third day where it is said he put them in prison for three days. And, uh, and, it, and the New Testament even says three days and three night, three nights, which was idiomatic for three days. Any part of a day is a day. Just like we say, you, you know, you know, I, I will say my age and, and any, even if I'm, even if I'm uh, a certain age and 11 months, I still use that age. I don't add the 11 months until it flips to the next one. The same thing here. And so he put them, and then he says to them this word. I want to close with this word in verse 18. Do this and live, for I fear God. Boom. That changed the whole dynamic. For I fear God. He speaks to them, and he says, I fear God. And what this his speaking saying, I fear God did, is it took him and it placed him in a place where it caused them to start thinking about God. They weren't thinking about God in jail. At this point, he pulls them back and he says, I fear God. When a person fears God, everything changes. It is a wonderful check over us when we fear God. It is this wonderful thing in leadership. I want to, there's a verse in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, when he was given leadership, it says in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twelfth year to the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, for twelve years neither did, I, did, neither did I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine beside forty shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because I feared God. Because I feared God. Nehemiah said, look, I am entitled to a governor allowance. I'm not even going to take that. Because I fear God. And I don't want them to think that I'm raping them like the former, like the former politicians did. We are to be different because we fear God. I urge you this day, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not opened up your heart to Him, and you've got this guilt hanging over your head, Come to Him in repentance today. If you know the Lord and you're holding on to something, you've done something to somebody that you need to repent for, that you need to deal with, I urge you this day to deal with it. Deal with it this day. Don't let this day go by. Don't let this sun go go down without dealing with it. Don't go to bed without dealing with this. If you can meet them personally, that's the best way. If you can't, get them on the phone. If you can't get them on the phone... You can send them an email, but, but email's not as good because they don't understand your heart. Text is the worst. And, uh, because they want to hear the inflection in your voice and you don't have to say, look, you know, I was 80% wrong. You were 20. No, leave the 20%. You're just confessing for what you've done. Confess for what you've done and deal with these issues. Remember, or else every bit of misery in life is seen through the prism of guilt. There's always this wonder, is this coming upon me? Is this coming upon me because of what I did? Be free of this. I urge you to be free. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for Your Word and the truth of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for the believers who are on this call today. And I pray, Lord, that You would cause them to walk in uprightness because of the fear of God that they would walk in uprightness and confession and in restoration. Father, that they could be free of these things as embarrassing as it is to have to go back and apologize, as embarrassing as it is. I pray, Lord, that they would learn to fear God more than fearing man. That they would learn to fear God more than they, they, they fear their own reputation. Father, I pray that You would do that in their lives. And Father, for those here who don't know You, I pray, Lord, that You would draw them to a place of knowing You because You are the one when they come in confession and repentance, there is forgiveness. Father, bring them to that place, I pray. Restore them because of Jesus, I pray. Because of Your great mercies. And I commit them to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.